Proverbs chapter 13 and uh, verse 8, we, uh, we began this last week, uh, this, this two-verse study, verses 7 and 8, talking about a perspective on wealth, a perspective really on the value of things. Remember last week we talked about the value of things. When I said things, I didn't mean things, especially things like the chair or the pulpit or your car or whatever, but I mean things, when I say things, I mean all things that are in reality, everything, your soul, um, uh, your relationship with others, uh, the value of things. And so we see that throughout the scriptures so often. And so uh, so we talked last week about verse 7, that there is one who makes himself rich yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. And the the uh, the perspective on that, that there, there are so many people in this world that really are uh, making themselves rich, uh, but they are very poor. Uh, they have nothing, they have no relationship with God, and so they are poverty-stricken. And there's one who makes himself poor yet has great riches, and we talked about the greatest example of that is our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who made himself poor, and yet he had great riches and he's bestowed those riches upon us. Well, now here in verse 8, we have another perspective, and that is where he says, the ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. The title of this lesson tonight, then, is The Disadvantages of Riches. Here, as with the previous view, we have another perspective concerning wealth. Uh, here we see a distinct advantage of being poor. Uh, the sense of this is made more clear in the modern translations, and I'll quote the NIV where it says, A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. As Solomon observes that riches are not as advantageous in all situations, as we tend to think. It is true that sometimes earthly riches help a person in many different ways, uh, and we can think of many advantages that riches do bring, uh, but there are many negative aspects of being wealthy as well, and, and here, here is one. Uh, the rich man may need to use his wealth as a ransom. It's quite practically, nobody kidnaps a poor man's kids, Right? The poor man isn't as much of a target as for thieves and extortioners as the rich man. And as the ESV and the NIV say, the poor hears no threat. And this is, this is obviously a better translation than the translation we have here where it says the poor hears not rebuke, uh, which obscures the meaning as though the poor doesn't listen to rebuke. That's not the sense of it here. No, the poor doesn't hear rebuke in the sense that he's not brought into trouble as the rich man who has so many people to try to take his riches away. Matthew Henry says this, he says, Those that are rich, if by some they are respected for their riches, yet to balance that by others they are envied and struck at and brought into danger of their lives, which therefore they are forced to ransom with their riches. And then he gives the example of what happens sometimes under certain regimes when they come into power. And remember, Matthew Henry wrote this and wrote his commentary in the 18th century before we have some of the modern examples that we have in the, had in the 20th century. 
He says, um, he says uh, these uh, tyrants, uh, when they come into power, he says they kill, they kill off the wealthy uh, of the land. Uh, he says, uh, quoting Matthew Henry, he says, under some tyrants it has been crime enough to be rich. And how little is a man beholden to his wealth when it only serves to redeem that life which otherwise would not have been exposed. And of course, since the time of Matthew Henry, we have the French Revolution, we have the Russian Revolution, the um, uh, the, the, uh, uh, in, in, that, that happened both in the 19th and the 20th centuries. And uh, we know that in those revolutions, the, the poor were much better off than the wealthy uh, because they would usually be overlooked and not subject to uh, extermination, though there were exceptions to that, especially in the Russian Revolution. Um, but the poor generally uh, are no threat to those uh, taking power, and so they have much, they have nothing really to steal, nothing to gain by destroying them. But the wealthy were murdered wholesale in both of these revolutions, and we know that this is a common thing. These are just some practical. Things, but the fact of the matter is that there are numerous advantages of being poor, or at least of not being wealthy. Uh, does anybody have any input on that? Do anybody have any any examples or uh, 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 Mark? That's that's a good point. Oh, that you know, that's good. That's a real good one. Yeah, what Mark is saying is that uh, a lot of wealth, wealthy people have um, uh, more leisure time than they can handle, more ease, and can do pretty much what they want, and, and it ends up destroying them sometimes. Absolutely, because God has made us uh, to be working creatures. He's He's given us uh, uh, mandates, and and there's many scriptural principles having to do with work and labor and all that, and, and sometimes the wealthy can uh, put themselves at ease and destroy their, old, their own bodies through doing it. Mark? Yeah, it's not just leisure time. They'll have access to things that they wouldn't have access to, like, for instance, Yeah, yeah. He, Yeah. Sure, that's right. Like Mark says, it's not just the leisure time, but the fact that they can uh, get things and have things that other people can't afford, like drugs and and uh, things like that. And so, yeah, that's right. Uh, Jack? That's right. The, 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 right. That's right. People that don't have all these investments uh, have uh, and all this wealth don't have the stress of that. There, there are some, you know, pretty obvious advantages in some ways. But people like to kind of brush them aside as though though they're nothing. But uh, there, there are a lot of a uh, lot of uh, uh, disadvantages of wealth, Jack. <laughs> yeah, Jack says he his wealthy uh, relative uh, says he only hangs around with jerks because only jerks can afford to do all the things that he does. So, wealthy jerks. So, yeah, that's uh, quite a saying. 
Well, and and true, the, the truth, and you know, to just add to that, it really is hard for wealthy people to know who their real friends are. It really is. It's hard for them. Uh, the Bible has a number of sarcasms in it, and I love the, some of the sarcasm, sarcastic sta- sayings in the Bible. One of them is Proverbs chapter 20, and also chapter 19, verse 4. They say that the rich have many friends. <laughs> many friends. <laughs> it's not really true. Of course, we know they don't have many friends, but they seem to have many friends. While it says that the poor, uh, while it says uh, the poor have um is uh, the poor is despised by his neighbor, and so uh, now the poor can have false friends too. We there's no there's no shortage of false friends in this world, uh, but uh, uh, but the but uh, uh, there's never uh, a shortage of that. But the rich have far more of them. <laughs> they really can't tell. Uh, but by far the biggest problem of riches is the danger that that these riches bring to the soul. And uh, Proverbs thirty verse eight says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. And then he gives the reason in the next verse. He says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Here, what we see in that proverb, we see a wise concern of avoiding spiritual disaster. He's afraid of riches turning his heart away from God. And that's a legitimate concern. Uh, we're warned about this in the New Testament, aren't we? Uh, Jesus said, remember dealing with the rich young ruler? And you know the the story, the rich young ruler came to him and uh, seemed very humble and and said uh, and fell down at his feet and said, Good master, what shall I do to to attain eternal life? And and uh and uh and then Jesus, of course, in his dealings with him, Jesus of course could see his heart. He had an advantage over as a soul winner over us. And he knew very well that the man had a covetous heart. And so he put his finger on that. You know, he said, keep keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, well, I, I've kept all the commandments from my youth. But Jesus knew he hadn't. So he said, he put his finger on it and said, well then, well, then go and give all your goods to the poor and then come and follow me and you'll have, uh, you'll have riches in heaven and come and follow me. And so he couldn't do that. When the rich young ruler heard that saying, the Bible says he, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And we know that he held on to his possessions to the detriment of his soul. And, and then just to read the text, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, this is after the rich man had left, he said, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know, we, we, we mustn't, uh, we mustn't uh, uh, brush this under the rug. We, we, we mustn't uh, just say that, uh, say that, well, you know, it's very difficult, but it's it's not it's not as difficult as what it seems here. And we've even had commentators that have tried to change this uh, needle into uh, a gate, a small gate that you'd have to in the city where you'd have to get down on your knees to uh, to get in there. Uh, and no, he's talking about a needle. That's what he's talking about. That's what he said. That's what he meant. Here we have a young man who is so concerned about his soul. 
that he sought Jesus out. He sought him out to ask him how he could have eternal life. But his love, his dependence on his riches kept him out of the kingdom. This is a sobering reality. <clears throat> he went away sad because he, he couldn't have eternal life on his own terms. And that is to keep all the things just the way he wanted them. And Walt Chantry points out in his book, Today's Gospel, that if this young man had been dealt with by certain evangelist, uh, evangelical evangelists in our day, uh, that uh, he would have been successfully converted. He just said, you know, pray this little prayer and give your heart to Jesus and you'll be okay. But that's not what he needed to hear, was it? He needed to have his sin dealt with. He needed to have true repentance. And this is an example of the fact that, that, that true conversion uh, involves true repentance. Jesus uh, Jesus didn't just say, just, uh, you know, just say this little prayer, just accept me as your Savior, which obviously we do need to accept Jesus as our Savior. But involved in that is true repentance. As we accept him as our Savior, we are also accepting him as our Lord. And he would not accept Jesus as his Lord because his Lord's command was, sell all you have and give it to the poor. And uh, and and he and he would not do that. So he would say, I, I want you as my Savior. I don't want you as my Lord. So, uh, so and of course, we're not Jesus, and we can't see a person's heart when we're uh, when we're trying to win them to Christ. But have you ever witnessed to somebody somebody who asked you when you're witnessing to them, well, uh, will I have to give up? Uh, and then there's a blank there. Fill in the blank. You know, will I have to give up such and such? And um, and usually whatever that such and such is is an idol to them that needs to be given up. And so when we come to Jesus, real repentance means a blank check to God in regards to our entire life. When I came to Christ, I gave him a blank check. Do with me as you wish. Now, I had no idea what that meant. And and there's some aspects in which I'm glad I didn't know what that was because maybe I would have balked a little bit more if I'd have known some of the things he was going to, you know, were going to be his will in my life. But, but, um, but... So I didn't know what it what he would require of me, but I know that whatever it was, I had to give it to him. And, and when you came to Christ, you know that's that's the basic attitude that I'm yours. And uh, now we struggle all our lives to really fully consecrate ourselves to Christ, don't we? We really do. And and uh, and so it's good that one thing at a time, as he sanctifies us and brings us through the Christian life, he shows us one area in our life he wants this from us and another area of our life he wants that and he's patient with us he's gracious with us and we don't always give it up as quickly as we should and and it's a struggle it's a warfare isn't it but still at the bottom line is every christian knows that i can't say no i can't just say no to jesus no you can have all of this but you can't have this because as soon as you've done that you said jesus is not my lord and if he's not my lord he's not my savior so though we may struggle giving up certain things, yet yet we know we have to. So, if this rich young ruler was uh, uh, never later on converted to Christ, then he's in hell this very day, and he's cursing his riches. His riches were a curse to him. They were not a blessing. They were a curse. And like the rich man in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, you think of that story. And by the way, 
In my opinion, I don't believe that is a parable. It's not introduced as a parable, uh, but as an actual historical account. And I think it really is. I think it's somebody that Jesus knew. Jesus could roll back the curtains of, of eternity and show us things that happened behind the scenes. And I think that's what we have with rich man and Lazarus, although it doesn't make any difference. The, the doctrine it teaches is still the same. But, uh, but that rich man, with all his wealth, that he had and was envied by so many and admired by others. And you can imagine people walking down the street and they see his palace and they say, oh, wow, look at that. Isn't, you know, maybe we'll see him on the veranda or something. And boy, to get a glance at this rich, wealthy man and, and a successful man in his household. And, and this, uh, oh, by the way, this, look at that, look at that guy laying at the end of his, uh, his yard. Oh, at his gate. How horrible. And uh, they weren't envying him at all. And, uh, and so we see the perspective there in that parable, don't we? A perspective that you wouldn't ordinarily have, even, uh, even in the, uh, the Western world as we, as we uh, are so Christianized, and yet we don't really truly understand the value of things. So that when someone is truly, truly, truly oppressed, like that man laid at the rich man's gate, and dogs were coming and licking his sores, and he was in such a pitiful condition. And, uh, and so that people would look at that and say, oh, uh, even in our day, people look at people like that and say, oh, there's something really wrong with that person. That person uh, is under God's judgment and a lot of secret judging going on. Whereas, uh, whereas the truth of the matter is, the one that God was smiling on, was the one that was under the horrible afflictions. And that's where God's smile was. In fact, uh, when, when the rich man died, it just said he, he was dying, he was buried. But when the poor man died, when, when Lazarus died, it says the angels came and took him away. And he didn't say one angel. He said angels, plural. And that's where we get those songs, a band of angels coming after me. That's biblical. It's more than one angel. He wouldn't trust Lazarus' soul to one angel. And one angel uh, strong enough to kill 144,000 soldiers in one night. And God wouldn't even let one angel. He would, you know, I'm not going to trust his soul to one angel. I'm going to send more than one. I don't know how many, but it was more than one. And, uh, and so we know that he was greatly beloved by God, though in this world it seemed that he was, he was cursed of God. And there are people like that in our day and age as well. And we need to be careful about that and to remember that because someone has a great uh, amount of worldly success and he's a, a Christian man with uh, everybody looks up to him as great worldly success or something like that, uh, not necessarily. It might not be God's smile upon him. His riches might be a curse to him. And so... Um, now, thankfully, the grace of God is such that he does save some rich people. Thankfully, he does. Like he said to the disciples, with God, it is impossible. I mean, with man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Aren't we thankful for that, for that, that all things are possible for this God? So James acknowledges this also in chapter 1 and verse 10 of his book when he says that the rich should glory in their humiliation and that is that the gospel humbled them and brought them down to the same level as the poor man. And Paul gives Timothy commands for the rich among the brethren in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And of course, there um, he gives examples 
there are there are examples, of course, many examples uh, in the Bible of rich men that have been saved. But then uh, James goes on in chapter two to rebuke those who show preference to rich people as they come into the congregation and into their assemblies. He's saying that God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, and that and that uh, the rich are those that oppress them and drag them into court. And then in chapter 5, of course, as I read last week, that he curses uh, the rich men who have oppressed their workers. And, and, uh, and there, there is no such scathing denunciation for the poor, but rather words of encouragement and comfort. And so, um, and so these people that we mentioned in verse 7, there's one who makes himself rich yet has nothing. James chapter 5 has a good description of them, as I mentioned last week, that he looked yeah, they've made themselves rich by oppressing their workers, by withholding the, their rightful pay, and uh, and God curses their riches and curses them, and uh, and so uh, and so their riches obviously do them no good and actually do them positive harm. And Paul, in the same chapter in First Timothy chapter six, where he gives instruction to the rich, he also <clears throat> warns that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Think, Listen to those words. <clears throat> Get those words. Drown, they drown men in destruction and perdition. That's, that's scary. That's, those are scary words. Who wants to be drowned in destruction and perdition? And yet... Consider the attitude of our society today, and many even in the church, about wealth. Think about this. Uh, think about the lottery. Uh, what a what a what a cult following the lottery is. Uh, it's like uh, it's like everybody's dream. If I could just win this lottery and get millions of dollars, and and then my troubles will be over, and it'll be happiness uh, happiness for the rest of my life. And and it's not the way it works out. There's never a consideration by people uh, of the danger that wealth brings. But the truth is, if we value our souls, and if we value the souls of our children, then we need to beware of the pursuit of wealth. We need to be careful. <clears throat> now, I want to give a qualification. I'm not saying that if you come into wealth, that you're under an obligation to turn away from it. That command he gave to the rich young ruler is not a universal command that's to be given to all that come into wealth. It was a command for that particular young man, and he turned away from it. Now, if God, if God, uh, God may require that uh, of any particular Christian, but that's between him and God. There's a balance to be had here. A person might start out poor, for example. Uh, but in the course of pursuing his or her career and being faithful with God's blessing, the riches might come their way, or it could come their way through an inheritance, which is legitimate. Well, if you find yourself in a situation like that, how do you respond uh, to such circumstances? Well, I would say for those that, that do find themselves in those situations, there's three things that should be considered. First, there should be a response of humility. Uh, we need to glorify God in any success that he gives us, no matter what it is. We need to give God all the credit and to be truly thankful to God and to beware of pride. One thing the riches do to people is, is, is it makes them proud so often. We need to beware 
of pride. There's a great temptation <clears throat> for pride among the wealthy, as though they were wiser than others, or though they were better than others, uh, because they got their wealth. And even those that rise up from being poor become wealthy. The pride can come in that that they're <clears throat> they're better because they were smart enough to to learn how to become wealthy. And, and another thing along those lines, uh, we need to beware of flattery. Proverbs twenty nine five says, "A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet." Proverbs twenty nineteen, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. And why does the Bible say that? Well, it's, it says it because. Flattery is dangerous for us because it can produce pride in us and pride can uh, can destroy us. Um, and uh, it's like uh, it's like uh, one of the Puritans uh, made the analogy of uh, walking around with uh, uh, gunpowder in our in our uh, in our possession. And uh, if, you, if you're carrying a, a bunch of gunpowder around, you got to be careful about sparks. And he says that's the way we are with our fallen nature, and uh, and flattery is that uh, beware of flattery because you know you're 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 liable to it because of your fallen nature. Um, it can sometimes also be difficult to discern between a genuine compliment and flattery. And I found this on the internet and I thought it was helpful, so I'll quote it to you here. <clears throat> this, uh, I think it was I, I don't know the person's name who 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 uh, who. Uh, put this out there, but it says flattery can be defined as the act of giving excessive compliments generally for the purposes of ingratiating oneself with the subject. The difference between flattery and a compliment is the benefactor. Flattery has a selfish motivation. The flatterer hopes to gain approval or advantage over the one being flattered. Compliments, however, are sincere acknowledgments or admiration spoken to praise someone else. Uh, a compliment is intended to benefit the recipient, whereas flattery benefits the flatterer. See, I thought that was very helpful to try to discern between the two. Now, there's more that could be said about this, but I don't want to get sidetracked. <clears throat> the main point here is about all this is that pride is, uh, is dangerous for us. Pride and fame and fortune. Uh, we need to be aware of this. And we need to be aware of our own hearts that the pride that these things can bring, uh, can the pride rising up to us in, in our hearts. And if pride does rise up within us, we need to quickly repent of it. And uh, so the second thing I'd mention in perspective, if a person comes into wealth, is that they need to re- people need to regard their wealth as a stewardship given to them by God um, to benefit others. He didn't give this. Uh, God does not give wealth to people simply for their own benefit in order to feed their own lusts. This doesn't mean they can't enjoy it. It doesn't mean they can't they can't enjoy it for themselves. But we need to be aware of selfishness and remember that God has real, true, intended purposes for its use. In 1 Timothy 6.18, speaking of the wealthy, Paul says, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. And then the third thing to always remember about riches is not to trust in them. And the Bible is, is, is full of warnings not to trust in riches. Don't let your heart trust in them. Our trust must always and only be 
in God. And we need to recognize that God can take them away at any time in a multitude of different ways. Or he can bring fiery trials to us in our lives that all the money in the world uh, could not help us with. Um, think of the poor man who said to the rich man, if I had, if I had your wealth, I'd buy good shoes for my boy. And the well, rich man said, I wish I could buy shoes for my boy, but my boy was born with no feet. So you see the perspective here. Um, 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives all things richly to enjoy. There is a temptation to trust in riches, and we must never, ever uh, go there. If we find ourselves doing that, we need to repent of it immediately. So the purpose of this proverb that we're, we're considering here tonight is to teach us that there are true disadvantages of having wealth. And, 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 this, and, um, and there's also, uh, there are also advantages of being poor. But as we back up and look at the larger context of Scripture, we find that overall the advantages of being poor far outweigh any advantages that we might have from wealth. The advantages of wealth are mostly confined to here and now, unless we take that wealth and invest it as Christ uh, recommended in the, in, uh, uh, that we might have riches in heaven. But, but the advantage, so the advantages of wealth are, are mostly confined to the here and now, but even in the here and now, there are serious disadvantages like we mentioned here t- tonight. And, and the, dis- the disadvantage of wealth is, is mostly eternal. There are eternal disadvantages like for the rich young ruler and for that rich man uh, who is associated with Lazarus. But the disadvantages of being poor are strictly here and now and only here and now. Uh, while even in the here and now, there are certain advantages of being poor. But the main advantages of being poor are eternal. For as we see in James chapter 2, verse 5, God has not chosen the poor of this world, or, or God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. So uh, there's something here in this verse for everybody, isn't there? Uh, for the rich, there's exhortation and there's warning. Uh, for the poor, there's encouragement and there's comfort. Uh, for all, there is the reminder that we ought to live our lives with eternity's values in view at all times. If we have the right view of wealth, then uh, we'll be better prepared to be content in whatever state we find ourselves in. As Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's what God wants in our lives. He wants us to be content in whatever state we find ourselves in. And I think it's good for a person to work hard and try to work hard and do their job to the best of their ability. And there's times in faithful stewardship God will bless that and, and wealth will come a person's way. Well, that's great. Give thanks. But remember all these warnings that apply to those that are wealthy. The Laodiceans, of course, as you know, in the book of Revelation, uh, they were rebuked by Christ 
And, and he said, uh, he said to them, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous. And repent. You see, they thought they were wealthy, but they were not wealthy. They made themselves rich, but they were they were really poor, as it says in our previous verse. So everybody here tonight is either rich with the true riches of Christ, or you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And Christ invites all of us to partake of his wealth. And all of us should be able to partake of his wealth because the offer is freely given to all of us. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the true riches, the real riches, the lasting riches are all found in Christ. And I and I hope that Every one of you here in this room or that's listening on the Internet, I hope that you all have them. But if there's anybody here that doesn't have them, then uh, then I pray for you. I'll, I pray for you that your eyes will not allow you to sleep tonight until you make peace with God. Let's pray.